women have something more to bring um, and that we need to change the narrative. Hello and welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast, where we bring you fascinating interviews with inspirational women on a whole variety of topics. This week, the guest is the very engaging Louise Glennon, who is Women in Leadership Officer with the National Women's Council of Ireland. It's not just the left-wing feminists that are interested in this, that this is much broader and that quotas are seen um, by women in business also as a lever for change. Women are 51% of the population, but you'd never think it by looking at the cabinet table or by the numbers of women in Dáil Éireann or on the board of any typical bank or business in the country. As Women in Leadership Officer, Louise Glennon's job is to focus on the need for women in leadership in all aspects of Irish life. People want women, they want diversity and they're looking for change. In the podcast, she talks about the need to give time to the new electoral quota, which she says needs time to settle in for at least the next three elections so that we can evaluate its true impact. I think people are expecting it to be the magic bullet that has a direct impact in this election. I think it's going to take three elections until we really see a critical mass. The National Women's Council of Ireland are championing the quota system, not only in the Irish political system, but also in the business world and especially in the boardroom. Louise talks about the launch of the Council's Better Boards, Better Business, Better Society report handbook, which she spearheaded. The report not only examines why, but also how gender-balanced boardrooms can be achieved. Louise is a great believer in the need for more data to find out where women are in the leaky pipeline to the boardroom. Gender audits need to be done everywhere. It's something that we've been calling for even in the Irish Parliament to find out um, you know, what, where exactly women are. Um, but we need to do gender audits in, in media, in right throughout businesses, absolutely. My name is Louise Glennon and I work for the National Women's Council um, as the Women in Leadership Officer looking at women in politics and women in senior levels of decision making in Ireland and how to get more women into both of those spaces. Are we making any progress or is the progress at a glacial pace? Progress is at a glacial pace, definitely. Um, I think we are making progress depending on what area that you look at it. I think there are chinks of light there, definitely, um, around the space of women in politics in particular. Um, We have the quota now. The fact that that um, legislation was brought in, I I think, shows that uh, some of the arguments have been won and hearts and minds have been changed. I don't think it's being fully implemented and implemented with the spirit of the legislation in mind um, on a national scale. But I think we're getting there. I think there are more, there are, not even I think, I know there are more women that are putting themselves forward um, for the next general election to be elected as TDs. Um, And that's a positive. And I think if you look at the results of the last general election, which is nearly five years ago, um, and also the results of the local elections, People are voting for women um, and, you know, the margins of the the women that don't get elected are far fewer than the men that don't get elected. People want women, they want diversity and they're looking for change. Um, And even the subsequent by-elections as well, I think in three out of four of those by-elections, women were elected. And we need to take that and listen to what the electorate are saying um, and provide them with more and more choice and and encourage more and more women to go forward. So I think in that area we're making um, progress, but we also need 
to give the quota some time and some space. I think people are expecting it to be the magic bullet that has a direct impact in this election. I think it's going to take three elections until we really see a critical mass and until organisations nationwide are comfortable with rolling it out and don't question whether it's a good thing or a bad thing or an anti-democratic thing and um, we need to to see it for what it is and the purpose of it and as I said you know focus in on the spirit of it um, and and trust it and allow it to, to run its course um, at least for three elections. We were at that Women in Leadership North and South a few weeks ago and one of the things that some of the young women politicians were saying is that women are being put forward in unelectable seats or where it's going to be really hard for them to win. Do you think that's true? At this stage I would be reluctant to say that it's, it's true. Um, I think maybe over the next few months, depending on how many women have been selected and how how far off the quota they are, um, they may choose to put yeah, women in that don't necessarily have a chance, that may not be from the constituency um, or that may not understand or know the constituency well. I would be concerned that that is a, a path that we will get go down the closer we get to the election once it's called. I think another thing that came up at that conference was, um, you know, if a woman doesn't get elected, that the electorate or the commentators are actually very tough on them. Whereas if it's a man doesn't get elected, they'd say, oh, she did your, did your best. You can get out the next time. <laughs> Do you think you know, the, the electorate will be forgiving of women who don't get elected? In broad sweeping terms, we probably judge women differently to how we judge men. Uh, we judge women candidates pre-election in a different way to to men appearance comes in how a woman looks and speaks and talks and sounds and the the aesthetic things are much more important to us as voters when when it comes to women than um in terms of how we treat men i think then in that sense if we look at after they don't get elected that probably we judge them also in in a different way I'd, i'd say the quota will come in for blame and that will kind of almost be associated with women that don't get elected do do other countries have quotas or what's your knowledge around that? Do other countries have quotas and how does it work? I know one that I look at quite regularly in terms of why quotas and what is the positive impact of, of having quotas um, on a parliament is Sweden. Um, and they've interestingly implemented a quota, not in the way that we have, though. They haven't didn't bring in a law. Essentially, they spotted a gap in the market um, as political parties and they wanted to figure out a way to activate women voters to vote for them. It was a cynical move and they believed the way to attract women was to have women on the posters. And they were right. It worked for them. Um, so they all commonly agreed, um, all of the parties, to have a quota of sorts, but to achieve it internally in whatever which way they wanted. And it worked out as a success. And more importantly, I feel, is that they gave us the analysis that I read um, through was over the course of three different elections. After the first election, women are the frequency with which issues that related to education, childcare, um, social services, hospitals um, and women's health started to increase. They started to increase, though, because the women were raising it themselves. But then after another election, when the number of women increased even further, men started to raise these issues as well. And just the simple presence of having women and gradually increasing numbers of women and throughout the election process made it okay. It changed the culture of the parliament and made it okay for men to talk about what otherwise, in inverted commas, would be perceived as women's issues. Um, And 
like Sweden is widely regarded as one of the most equal societies in the world. If we use that as our barometer and, and give it those three and um, those three election cycles and have a look at at the impact, not on the election process, but on the decision making process and on debates. I think that's where we really stand to gain if we're that patient. Talk to me about uh, the, the women on boards, uh, the better boards better business, better society. This report was issued this year. What were the main findings and what was it all about? It was all about trying to put a different spin, uh, for want of a better word, sorry, not a spin, but change the narrative um, around why uh, we need more women on boards. Um, and I suppose something that we struggle with here in the National Women's Council a little bit is, is the dominance always of the business case. And why is it that it's the business case that wins out. Um, why is it because the bottom line works? That's why we'll put our money behind it. Um, and there are so many positives for having gender equality in Irish society that is just that that moves beyond just the bottom line. Um, and I suppose yeah. So we wanted to change the narrative a little bit. There's no getting away from the importance of the business case, and you know we have included that in the piece, but also the benefits it has to our wider economy and to the, the state um, and also to our gender roles but we looked at a number of different levels um, mainly looking at the pipeline at the management level and at the boardroom um, and seeing all three as being really important the boardroom I suppose for this particular report being of the greatest importance from a leadership perspective because um, I suppose the value of leadership um, and the simple optics of strong leadership and the impact that that can have at all the other levels, we believe is very important. Um, so leading from the boardroom, but not forgetting about any other level as well. Um, that you know, for the boardroom to be effective, that um, the leadership pipeline also has to be there and be strong. Um, so we made a number of different recommendations um, about how to strengthen each level. Um, including the pipeline, looking at um, family-friendly working practices um, right up um, through to um, implementing a quota at board level. So it's quite a holistic picture. Um, and I suppose what we're trying to say in the report as well is that no one piece can be done on its own. We can't expect that gender-friendly practices is going to change um, uh, the face of leadership in Ireland and likewise to do a quota alone may only just focus in on a, on a small section of people who are already um, working in a particular circle um, so what we need to do is, is create yeah make lots of changes all at the, the one time or in a, at least a phased process um, and hope that at every level with all of those changes that it will ultimately um, make significant change and not at a glacial pace. Well, they say you, you can't improve what you can't measure. So how do we measure the pace of change? There is in Ireland a huge lack of data. And I think other countries um, have found it also in the Australia and the UK going back maybe five, six, seven years. But they've done a lot to address it. Um, here in Ireland, we haven't at all yet. Um, some companies have done pieces privately, but I think there's a lot of learning that like, we can get on a national scale from things being done publicly. Um, one of the recommendations in the report calls for a women on boards review, similar to the Lord Davies report in the UK, and it's something that we'll have in our pre-budget submission. Um, and also what that will include in our election manifesto. And we're trying to get also corporate support 
support for that because many private businesses come to us asking for data and we in the National Women's Council don't have the, the funding or the capacity to, to, to find that data but like the, the demand is there for it and the demand is there because people really want to understand what the trends are where women are um, because I, I suppose often we look at the boardroom alone and the figures there are stark it's just over 10% of women in boardrooms but they're, they're boardrooms that are floated on the stock exchange and there's only a very low number of those companies in Ireland and we don't have enough data around small firms small to medium enterprise and where women are in leadership positions there um, there's no doubt that women are in the workforce um, and if we look at the number of women in the workforce you know that 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 figure skews things because women tend to be at lower or uh, middle management level and don't seem to get much higher than that but a lot of what we know is is often anecdotal mm-hmm. um, and relying on um, some corporates to publish results um, or good relationships with HR departments who might share the findings privately of their results. But what we need is, is a national al- analysis, a baseline study, finding out where women are at all levels now in Ireland and then setting gender out a roadmap, audits, a gender audit. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Gender audits need to be done everywhere. It's something that we've been calling for even in the Irish Parliament to find out, um, you know, what where exactly women are, both staff in the Oireachtas, um, and also uh, in terms of the, the sheer physicality of buildings being being quite masculine and male domains. Um, but we need to do gender audits in in media um, and in 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 right throughout businesses. Absolutely. What gets in the way of women's leadership? Do you think when they get to that mid thirties and then they start to fall away, and the boys or that the young men pass about the young guns, you know, and women get very frustrated. I know that fre- frequently I hear stories, and it's not all about childcare. Mm. What do you think gets in the way? It's not all about childcare. Um, definitely not. I think childcare is a really important part. I also think mm. elder care is a really important part. Um, I don't think we value care sufficiently in Ireland. It tends always to be women that um, step out of um, the workforce to look after children or women that step out to look after um, their parents or even their in-laws um, while the male might uh, might stay on in work. There's a number of other issues, though. Um, the gender pay gap, women get paid less than men. Um, it's often not financially viable for them to stay in work, particularly after the birth of their second child. The cost of childcare in Ireland is, the cost of childcare is, is one of the most expensive in the world. I think we're the second most expensive in, in the OECD. Um, now I know there are things that are going to change that. But I think even it's about looking at women in their early 30s um, and it's it's actually not about them at that point. It's about even previous to that, um, and looking at gender dynamics even in the classroom, of how like in girls do better in girls only schools, um, boys do better in mixed schools, and when I talk even to my colleagues who work in social care, if you have a mixed workshop, girls always are quiet and the lads are well able to put themselves forward, but if you get the girls on their own. They, again, they're well able to put themselves forward. There's something about um, traditional norms in Ireland and something that young women and young girls are even taught um, about allowing themselves to somewhat be subordinated or somewhat kowtow to, to men. And I think there's something about even how we 
progress ourselves forward in the workforce and put our hands up for things um, and say that we want it. Um, Without being ashamed of saying I want it. Yeah, or embarrassed um, to be perceived as ambitious. Um, And I I, I think women need to become stronger at putting themselves forward at that. And by no means do I want to place the blame at women for not being confident enough or not putting their hands up because I think that operates within like our lack of confidence or perceived lack of confidence operates in a in a quite a male ordered element you know where men are really confident and they have kind of set the rules in the places where women are trying to break through and um, and it's about like it, the, the pressure can't always be on the woman having to break the rules or smash the glass ceiling there has to be help from from the men also on that i think there's a certain um openness from a lot of men as well who see us and somebody said I think it was Breed Horan says she saw a huge difference when uh, senior men saw their daughters reach their 30s and then for the first time they, they started to realise the, you know, the, the, the barriers that there were to women's careers so there, I think it's we're pushing an open door if we get there. Would you agree? <laughs> I think, yeah, men with daughters, is, it's a really good one. Um, I think it's, and it's like so many people are saying that recently, that that, that they are the, the potential for making change. Um, and yeah, I totally agree. I think there are nuances to things that only women really get. Um, and he might kill me for saying this, but, you know, my dad is one of my biggest champions. Um, and but I think still sometimes, you know, he gets the equality argument and why women should be on the same level as men. But he doesn't necessarily get the diversity of issues that women are dealing with to achieve that level of equality. It's not it's it's sometimes not just as straightforward as go for it and um, that there's so many other things to navigate. But I think the more we get those men on our side, the better, definitely. Louise, tell me more about the uh, better boards. What were the key summary of the key recommendations that came out of this report? Looking firstly at the leadership pipeline, I suppose some of the key recommendations were around um, creating a family friendly working environment um, and having flexible working hours for women and men and um, encouraging paternity leave as well, which I know um, is hopefully going to come in at the next budget. Um, to to look at at the workplace and to figure out a way to incorporate the family and you know uh, extracurricular responsibilities and um, to facilitate staff and um, to do a better job and I suppose kind of revaluing even um, what um, it is to be a good worker is it long hours is it staying late is it being seen at the desk or is it actually you know getting the work done delivering results delivering results mm. exactly and then we talked as well about training and mentoring so that yeah people women mainly are given the supports that they need to to go forward for leadership roles but one person in particular talked also about sponsorship um and the need beyond mentoring and training but the need for an actual sponsor who will actively advocate for you particularly at board level saying you know i know this woman um i think we should use her um or keep her or you know put her in the right place um and there was yeah one woman in particular said you know the the mentoring was needed but it was needed to get myself into a into a space where that sponsor then would come in and and really drive forward for me um, and support me in terms of trying to get a promotion so I thought that was really interesting yeah do you think women find it difficult to ask for mentoring and support 
or sponsorship? Do they, they feel kind of self-reliant? Like I really should be able to do this by myself. Um, I think they're getting much better. Um, I, I haven't come across an issue with women not being able t- to ask for help. I think probably we have a natural inclination of saying I should around a whole lot of things. And yes, I should be able to do this by myself. I think women are much more conscious of the barriers that they're facing now. Um, and this climate in which a lot of people are talking about women in leadership, I think it has opened up conversations and given women opportunities to, to ask um, for more. And um, it's kind of just, they feel maybe a little bit justified that they can ask for more. What other recommendations did you come up with? Unconscious gender bias training is a critical one that keeps coming up over and over and over again. Um, we all have biases. Being in this job, I, I'm hyper aware of biases now and I'm re-evaluating myself all the time. Um, but yeah, unconscious bias and how work is allocated, um, how decisions are made and how even at an interview level, how decisions are made and how judgments are made from, you know, purely on the basis of how somebody looks or what their accent is like or their gender. Um, and interestingly, we were doing a piece of work with them um, Uh, civil servants and we had a workshop uh, with women civil servants quite senior women civil servants and they spoke about gender bias in in their departments Um, and how women are organizers and men are speech writers you know men do the the policy stuff and women organize the launch event for it and you know and, and that's just a very basic thing you know women aren't just good at organizing some men are really good at organizing but they can also do the policy piece too and they shouldn't just have to make the tea now that's that's blunt um, but there are we have lots of biases that um, both, as I say, women and men have. And like I, there are interesting studies of even how women and men judge interview processes and women always get judged more harshly and they get judged harshly by women also. Um, so, you know, this is a, an intergender piece. It's not just about men and women. Um, and so, yeah, I think uh, that's a huge learning um, piece and like uh, many private companies in particular are, are finding really good results um, from doing unconscious bias training. There's a new piece, um, Mark, Men Advocating for Real Change, and it's kind of building on that piece that we were yeah. talking about, even mm-hmm. men who are fathers um, and uh, just getting specifically looking at, at men and in challenging their biases and encouraging them to make change. And I know a number of companies, um, Dell um, in particular, are really championing it. Yeah. Um, and I think Vodafone are about to roll it out also. They've, they've already sent some people um, to, to go on the course and have found it almost life changing, it seems, in, in doing this piece. And they use little examples like um, you know, showing a video of a, a little girl running and that 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 joke about, oh, well, you run like a girl. How do you run like a girl? And, and it being a, a messy, awkward run um, and it being a slag, you know, it's, yes. it's a negative, it's a criticism. And people coming out of those that seeing that video saying, I have a little girl. She runs like a, a girl. Yeah. As, and, you know, why is that a bad thing? But all of a sudden, they're when when they when the language was highlighted to them, and they may have used that language themselves at times, but then it, they started to see, gosh, that is a negative, and why are we attaching 
like a girl as a negative thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just exposing our, our biases that we're, we felt or we feel are harmless. And, um, you know, that almost sometimes as well, I think we can overcompensate because of our biases. Um, and another thing that came out of that workshop with the civil servants was that people were presuming that because women had children, that they may not want extra work or special projects. And these women were saying, we'd like to be considered for it. Sure. You shouldn't just rule us out just yeah. because we have children, because men have children too. Yes. Um, they don't look at that in the same way. Yeah. No, Elizabeth Phelan in London, Crownfield University, says that you know for executive education, sometimes you know a, a foreign assignment will be offered to a woman and, and she'll say no and then they don't offer it to the next woman who mm. might just want it yes yeah. you know so a lot of executive training and you know is not even open to women in some companies yeah yeah mm. and also as well the presumption sometimes that um if someone is currently availing of um flexi time um that that it says something about their commitment to the job um, and some of these women were, were saying you know if a spe special project comes up and it's only a short-term piece I may be willing to gain that additional expert experience and mm. um, that I'll be willing to come off my flexi time but if you know if you think I can do it ask me don't look at my own personal circumstances let okay. me look at those circumstances and make that decision for myself um, asking women if you, you know you identify a gender gap and that's one thing we would recommend as well is that gender gaps should be identified in the same way as some people look at age they look at ethnicity they look at um, whether you're an accountant or a marketer you know that that gender is a, a positive thing to bring to the board that diversity should be there so if it's an all-male or predominantly male situation um or and as well female that um you know to, to actively seek out um women to diversify yeah to diversify yeah. um and that it's not enough just to say there are none um because there are you know there are plenty um women are better educated in ireland than men are um but they do sometimes need to be asked mm -hmm. in academia i think the, you know the the numbers of women who are at universities and 60 percent you know 40 percent men yeah. <laughs> young men and yet as the academic ladder goes up there are fewer and fewer women yeah you know in academia i think it's less than 20 percent women at the top professorial level yeah but we would hope that you know things will change and that we might get a little closer to 50 50 because when you think of it we're 51 percent and you and sometimes when you hear you know that this is a minority issue i say well it's not actually yeah <laughs> but we i think we probably don't call it enough do we do we call it out enough and say look this isn't fair and do we sit on our hands and just sigh a lot of the time when we should be actually calling it out yeah i think we do uh, probably a lot um and i i I think some women can often be reluctant to to name it um, to call it out um, and for fear of it be of of negative repercussions on them for actually calling it a, a, a gender problem. And, you know, I've heard from unions often saying we don't get any gender um, complaints, no complaints on the basis of gender um, and in a, a union representing people in academia. And th this was a woman saying it to me and she was like just saying we're appealing for it because we know it exists, but women won't call it out for fear that they may get marginalised. They may then completely um, knock themselves out of the running for another. Not um, an unreasonable assumption. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I, I think you're right that we can sit on our hands inside, but that, that can often be an educated decision. But nonetheless, 
but I suppose we need change makers there and we need to challenge the system and, and I I would encourage women to stand up and I hope that the the recent uh, example with Micheline Sheehy's Skeffington and her colleagues in Galway just shows that there is an appetite there now um, but it's about you know in, ensuring that that is delivered in other colleges as well rather than just hoping we need to actually make it happen. Any other recommendations? We were supportive of the government quota um, for state boards, the 40% quota. Last time I checked, it was 37%. It, the target is 40%. Um, sorry, it wasn't a quota, it was a target. Um, and uh, they look like they will soon deliver it. Um, That's fantastic, isn't it? It, it is. shows it can be done when you set a target. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, there's been a few issues along the way, um, which I think have actually helped to drive the target, exposing um, problems where men were appointed um, and perhaps unfairly. I think that has really helped to, to drive the target. Um, it should be reached and exceeded I think it should be analysed what worked and what didn't going back to your your disaggregated data like I think we need to learn from all of our experiences the quota would be the really biggest thing for us Um, and this is a a legislative quota What about Halla Thomas-Dotter who came over from uh, Sisters Capital in Iceland she was an amazing speaker at the launch of your um, Better Boards uh, document what do you think we can learn from the women of Iceland, particularly from herself? And she was just like such a nice person, such a decent person and had all the facts and figures at her hands or fingertips. She yeah. was just great, wasn't she? She was brilliant. Um, she was a breath of fresh air to deal with. Um, just no airs and graces whatsoever. Um, and she knew exactly what she was talking about. She had applied um, what she described as feminine principles um, to her company, which she established prior to the crash, not but quite close to it. Um, and essentially, they, the, the company rode the wave and came through very successfully. She was named one of Newsweek's Women of the, the Year. She's got international awards um, for what she has done and the message that she conveys. And mainly it, it is that message of, you know, w- women have something more to bring um, and that we need to change the narrative. Um, she's a champion for this um, piece around fathers, you know, the, it's the, the men with daughters, that's where we need to go. Um, but she was really mo- a very much a champion for women's skills as um, emotional leaders um, and having an emotional capacity. Um, that's not a negative thing. No, not at all. Uh, and being able to, to empathise and relate to their team um, and women being, you know, really prepared. She talked about even different funds and how, you know, even in financial circumstances, she gave an example of a women fund managers and how their return actually was was higher I think by something like six percent and then then male returns um, but she is just out there on this issue um, and she's uh, she's unrelenting really and she's continuing to push it put it in a way that um, is very um, not not partic- not oppositional I would say confrontational, yeah, yeah confrontational that's that's yeah what I'm looking for um, and I think she she really helped for us from the perspective of the National Women's Council, it was fantastic to have a woman being such 
a strong feminist and a champion of women. Um, but she was interesting the way she was talking about how they had a strike where every woman in the country yeah. just down tools, yeah. <laughs> housewives, bankers, everybody, you know. Yeah. And that was that was when things started to change. And that was in the 1970s, I think. Yeah. Is that what she said? Yeah, it was the 1970s. Oh. Yeah. So what happens with this better boards now? It's not just going to sit on a shelf. You must be you must have great plans of where to next. What um, happens next? What I suppose this is an election period I won't say year given this we don't know whether it'll be towards the end of 2015 or 2016 we want to make uh, particularly the quota and the women on boards piece an election issue and um, we want the quota to be in manifestos in the way that there was the political quota in manifestos already and um, we want the the boards piece also um, and then we want the the an Irish version of the Lord Davies report to be in the budget um, and if not um, to be in manifestos also and we're building support um, with we're reaching out to women that are game changers using Nora Casey's phrase and um, people that are pro quota um, and publicly so um, and we're trying to build a platform and to present these recommendations particularly again the headline the quota and the uh, the report uh, and get those women who are in existing leadership positions to kind of help us to leverage this um, and to show that it's not just the left-wing feminists that are interested in this, that this is much broader and that quotas are seen um, by women in business also as a lever for change um, and that aspirations are fine, but it's not until we actually set clear targets that we're going to achieve anything um, and the quota being that key target that isn't just something that can be an afterthought at the end for the annual report it has to be something um that is uh, that is legislative and that there's a penalty associated with it europe has always been a big champion um and we thank god for the eu because of we've we lost the marriage bar and women couldn't work uh, if they were in the civil service and when we joined the eu that marriage bar went away and um, we've had lots of legislation from the eu has that all stopped or is there anything coming from europe you know to assist the progress of women Yes, it's something that we have supported in this report. There's a quota, um, an EU directive for a legislative quota coming in at a European level, initiated by the European Commission, um, and it has slowly progressed from Commission to Parliament to Council. Um, it sat in the Council for, I think, almost a year being negotiated and watered down it must be said the quota was initially 40% I understand that it's gone to 30% and that the financial penalties have been reduced also we haven't been given a date and nor has the bill been published but the European Commission has said that it should be passed by Christmas and so we have our fingers crossed. Can we go back to yourself just to finish off have you any pearl of wisdom uh, any advice that you'd say has stood you in good stead uh, in your life and your career to date? I think I'm probably regularly over analyse whether I'm prepared enough, able enough or um, experienced enough. Um, and I have to say one thing I've learned from Orla O'Connor, my director here. Um, she had an incredible amount of trust in me. I don't know why um, when she first hired me um, and she encouraged me to do do things that I never would have contemplated doing. Um, and my attitude, particularly since joining here, but probably always, but I, I feel like it's heightened since joining here has just been like, go for it. Yeah, OK, I'll, I'll give it a try. And 
nothing has ever gone drastically wrong. Yeah, I think that's kind of going to become my mantra. Go for it and fake it till you make it. Um, trust that, uh, you know, you're, you're only going to be hired or you're only going to be asked if whoever is hiring you or organising the event or whatever it may be, they're asking you because they think you're good enough. Um, so you don't need to add an extra layer of judgment as to whether you are or not. Just trust them and, and go for it. Get a good briefing and go for it. That was Louise Glennon, Women in Leadership Officer with the National Women's Council of Ireland. As well as that great career and life advice, she's also given us food for thought on the need to give enough time to quotas to see and measure their effectiveness. Thanks for listening and please join in the conversation by letting us know your thoughts via the website womeninleadership.ie or contact us via email info at womeninleadership.ie. You can also contact us on Twitter at leadingwomenpod. Till the next time, goodbye and take Louise's advice. Call out gender inequality whenever you see or hear it. And if an opportunity for a new job or advancing your own career comes along, park your fears, trust in your own ability and go for it. The call for more data to enable us to take a deeper look at where women are in the pipeline to the leadership table is one that businesses will do well to heed, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because ultimately it's in their own interests, judging by all the international research.